Hi everyone, my name's Sean, and you're listening to Incredible Discourse, the podcast where we explore the past, we explore exploring the past, and we spend a little too much time in Japan. Today, we continue our journey through the story of the Japanese islands. There are several specific topics that I'd like to take a deeper dive into, but I want to make sure that we have some basic ground cover before we really get deep into it. Now, throughout these 13 episodes, we will cover the entire span of Japanese history, from the early hunter gatherers of the Jomon to the newest era, Reiwa. This will introduce the general outline of Japanese history for those who are not familiar with it and begin to contextualize famous events and people. Now, the Nara period. The Nara period begins when the capital is moved to Nara City. And lasts until the capital is moved again to Heian-kyo, which is modern Kyoto. Now, this may seem to be an odd way to determine historical periods, and it kind of is, but the old custom of moving a capital every time an emperor dies、uh, from, you know, because of purity rites based in proto Shintoism is now in the Nara period replaced with a stationary bureauc-、uh, bureaucracy, a bureaucratic state administration center in Nara. And although this is established in the Nara period, the level of control that it had over the islands was nowhere near the level of control modern nation states have today. With the adoption of Shotoku's constitution and the open embrace of continental forms of governance from illegalism, there was a marked rise in the power of the Yamato court. The major shift in the Nara period was a stronger relation with Tang China. This shifted the focus. Of foreign imports from the Korean peninsula to mainland China. And as a result, the tensions that were created from some of the clans and families in the Japanese archipelago coming from the Korean peninsula and maintaining close ties with the Korean kingdoms were lessened due to the new imports coming primarily from the Chinese mainland. And instead of killing and plotting each other all, over, <laughs> all the time, there is now a little bit more time for religion and literature in the city of Nara. But that doesn't mean people stopped plotting and you know, killing each other and drama. There was just slightly less of it. And you know, that's kind of a good thing. So both Nara and Kyoto are modeled after the city of Xi'an from、uh, Chang'an. Basically, today the city is called Xi'an, and historically it was Chang'an. Not, like I said before, I'm not good at tones and I apologize for that. Or the city of perpetual peace, as what the characters describe it as. The main difference is that they're much smaller, the Japanese cities are much smaller cities and were built with no defensive walls, whereas Xi'an was built with this massive defensive structure around it. And today, Kyoto remains the greater resemblance to Chang'an, more so than Nara to, you know, does. In addition to the Chinese structural layout of the city of Nara, the Chinese writing system is also more widespread adopted. So the Chinese system of writing is adopted, and the wealthy families and people are able to take up the hobby of writing, calligraphy, and poetry. The sinographic writing system, if you want to be technical about it, became more prevalent throughout the Yamato court and among wealthy families. Writing proliferated throughout the Yamato territories, with educated people knowing classical Chinese and the writing system adopted to also to phonetically write the Japanese language as well. So we have classical or literary Chinese and 
from that, a new phonetic system of writing is developed that will more accurately uh, represent the Japanese language, or at this point, this is old Japanese. Now, the Nara period overall is highlighted by the literary achievements in the capital. The main focus of this period is in internal development of culture and literature. That the period not only has the Kujiki, the Nihonki, but also the Kaifuso and the Manyoshu tends to overshadow life outside of the capital, where massive land reforms were taking place. But in reality, historians tend to ignore that, you know, the, the land reforms and the, the, the life of peasants, because it's hard. It's harder to find out about how peasants lived as opposed to a nice shiny book. And Japan in the Nara period was producing a lot of nice shiny books. Two of these books are the Kojiki and the Nihongi. These are the oldest records of the history of Japan and told in two very distinct forms. They both tell the story of Japan and the imperial family, but where one tells it in terms of kami and nativist terminology, which is the kojiki, the nihongi tells it in more of a Chinese historical form. Overall, the two texts are intended for different audiences. The kojiki, for the imperial family and the great clans, to solidify the legitimacy of the imperial family's rule. It highlights the mythical foundations of the island and the Yamato clan from the time of the kami. Now, on the other hand, the Nihongi is used to present to the kings and emperors abroad and establish and, auth and authorize the legitimacy of the imperial family's right to rule and their virtuous pedigree. But outside of the courts, the extent to which the Kojiki and the Nihongi affected the lives of everyday people are minor. What did have a noticeable impact on the lives of everyday folk were the establishment of estates known as Shoen. Shoen began as land holdings of individual families and Buddhist sects, but grew to become a cornerstone institution within Japanese society. Not within the Nara period, but it gets there. Now, they served as points of trade along communication networks. They served as religious centers, communal structures, and sources of social and political organization. During this period, the Ritsuro system also came into being. The Ritsu were penal codes for controlling populations, and the Ryo is the administrative apparatus of the state. What's well, the new one? One of the major benefits for the central state of the Ritsuro system is that it could be used to better control populations. One of these populations is the Hayahito. They're a group of people from Kyushu. Tend to be a little violent, but that's also because we get the descriptions of them from the imperial court who sought to control them. And the Ritsuro system was put into effect to cripple the Hayahito people after they were conquered. So the Hayahito have a long history of rebelling against the central government and or against invading, you know, Yamato kingdom. Now, the Hayahito people were difficult to keep under control, but when the Yamato court divided their lands and gifted it to immigrant families whom the Yamato sent to Kyushu, it prevented the Hayahito people from gaining enough power to liberate themselves. And the story of the Hayahito people is a continuous story from there of rebellion and 
a, a desire for independence. And that's um, that's a cool little, you know, storyline that goes throughout throughout Japanese history. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. Now, in the realm of the everyday person, who wrote and enforced law upon them was important, but in 735, a smallpox outbreak spread from Kyushu, killing an estimated one-third of the population of the Japanese islands. This led to an increased investment and interest in Buddhism for the remaining population. Two of the most prominent Buddhist monks lived during this period. These people were Kukai and Saicho. Now, both of these men studied Buddhism, traveled to China to learn more, and came back to Japan and received patronage, you know, to establish temples. Kukai, also known as Kobo Daishi, is famed for establishing Shingon Buddhism. It's a form of Vajrayana Buddhism. Now, Kukai is famed for introducing this form of esoteric Buddhism in Japan, but also for developing the Kana system, the phonetic writing system that was derived from Chinese to better write and represent the Japanese language. So as opposed to the Chinese alphabet or sinographic characters, right? Sino meaning Japan. I mean, sorry, Sino meaning China. Um, Kukai, allegedly, you know, he's famed for taking characters that in the sinographic system, you have characters that mean ideas and full set words and full, you know, um, they're pictographic, right? And from that, he's deriving a system of phonetic characters, which are more similar to the Roman alphabet, where you get pieces of these idea characters and you put them into a context where each one now simply represents a symbol, uh, a, like a sound. Now, the other prominent monk, Saicho. Saicho also traveled to China to study and came back, but he founded the Tendai School. He's also credited with bringing tea to Japan and introducing it to the court. He founded a center for Tendai Buddhism, and he established the retreat on Mount Hiei. Now, these two men knew each other and would cooperate in their mission to bring Buddhism into the Japanese islands because they both left Japan, went to China, I think they met each other there, and they came back together, and they both lived in Nara. That's where they did all of their, most of their work. Now, the Nara period, overall, is known for its beautiful literature, its horrific loss of life, and the rise of religion that helped the people who remained try to make sense of the world they lived in. The Hayahito people of Kyushu were conquered, but they maintained their desire for independence for the rest of Japanese history. The period began with the capital moving to Nara, and it ends with the capital moving to Heian-kyo, modern-day Kyoto, by the Emperor's Genmei, bringing an end to ancient Japan and ushering the dawn of classical Japan. Next time on our journey through the Japanese history, we're going to be doing the Heian period, which is the bulk of classical Japan, of classical Japanese history. Uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please leave a message, uh, and I'll call you back. <laughs> um, send me an email, uh, hit me up on Twitter, and um, I'll see you then. I'm out. <laughs>